0: Welcome to the Aristea podcast, where experts talk about excellence. Our podcast format includes a young professional early in their career talking to an expert for academic and industry insights. At some point, we turn the tables around, where the expert asks the young professional about their agonies, dreams and aspirations about their field. In today's podcast... We're honored to have Dr. Dimitris Berchimas from MIT Sloan School. He is Boeing Leaders for Global Operations Professor of Management, Professor of Operations Research, and Associate Dean for Business Analytics. The interviewer is Petros Evstratoudakis, a recent graduate from Babson and aspiring entrepreneur.
1: So thank you so much for being here. Aristia, thanks you very much, uh, Dr. Bertimas. And uh, I, I greatly look forward to having this conversation with you. So you. let's, let, let's uh, get started. So first question, um, you have co-authored over 200 scientific papers and contributed to several books. And of those works, is there one in particular that you reflect on that you immensely, that you're immensely proud of or believe it has had certain contributions that you personally believe to be crucial, either in the scientific community, entrepreneurial community, or whatever it may be? Uh,
2: That's a difficult question, is asking (laughs) a father who who, who, from your children you prefer. That's a a difficult question to answer. But um, I'll mention maybe a few. So uh, starting from the most recent, I um, uh, recently, maybe 2019, Completed a book I call it uh, Machine Learning Under a Modern Optimization Lens, that uh, is based on a, a decades worth of, of research with my group at MIT, that, that takes the field of machine learning, uh, the use of data, to make inferences and prescriptions for um, significant uh, problems of the world, but takes a very different perspective. So the um, this is based this is a, a purely research based book that has. Uh, that had an impact in the sense that it um, addressed new problems that uh, people were not addressing before. It is now being used in multiple universities, maybe over thirty universities around the world. It has received a major research award in the professional society I belong, and most importantly, it have it has been the basis of developing a class at MIT and many other universities around the world that is now attracting hundreds of students every year at the graduate level, which is a uh, you know, not a trivial, a trivial thing. That's one example. Another example in um, a, p- a paper I wrote in the 2000s, early 2000s, is called The Price of Robustness, introduced a new way of thinking about uh, optimization under uncertainty that is tractable. And this paper is, is, uh, has attracted um, over 4,000 citations. It is the wow. most cited paper in the journal, major journal of the field of operational research from the beginning of its inception. It, it had some impact. Um, I also, uh, many of my students who I supervised uh, in this area are now professors over 10. Um, I would say it had some impact in the field. Finally, I would like to mention my work in healthcare that uh, is ongoing, but um, it has been the basis of uh, two companies. One that I started in 2001 and another that I started in 2011 that uh, get uh, data, claims data from um, third-party administrators who are uh, places where if a person uh, goes to see a doctor, the doctor, of course, needs to be paid. but So a a doctor submits um, claims. Uh, These are uh, IDs for the diagnosis, procedures, and drugs that the doctor prescribed but the, so the a company so it, it submits this to a third party administrator The third party administrator makes the payments but it collects the data based on this data we now have built uh, two companies one we have uh, sold to various health in 2009 and one is ongoing called benefit science that is now um uh, serving of the order of 10 million people a month uh, in terms of uh, uh, utilizing this data to make assessments on quality of care, costs, and so forth. So this is a, a bit a, a survey of some of my most recent work that you asked me. Uh, that I, I think I had some impact in the world. Uh, but of course, I can mention many others, but uh, time is short.
1: <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much. Um, no, that, that, that is very profound. So you have been responsible for the creation as you mentioned, of several companies, and can you speak a little bit more, uh, adding on to what you just said about the value that they have created?
2: Yeah. So, um, so I have been, in addition to being an academic, I have been a serial entrepreneur. The first company I, I, I have uh, over over my, the course of my career, I have started over ten analytics based companies. Three I have sold, uh, seven are ongoing. So. Um, so the the first uh, company, I, I'll, I'll give you some, I cannot talk about all of them, but but what is the principle? why serial entrepreneurship? You know, it is my view that uh, while research that is done in academic environment can make a difference in the world, primarily in educating young people, mm-hmm. um, if you want to make an a, an impact in the world of where you affect their lives, of millions of people, universities are not appropriate for that. Universities are good for developing uh, prototypes, but, uh, but in terms of, uh, of uh, impacting the world, you need a company that can maintain and so forth. Let me give you a little bit of, of background of these companies. So the first company I started was called Dynamic Ideas. We sold the company because about risk management and asset management and financial services. The company was bought by American Express. And um, wow. in 2001, and then I have found myself uh, together with my colleagues being responsible for managing 12 billion dollars in um, in uh, American Express Financial adv- Advisors. Later, became a Um It was an interesting uh, experience where we have a lot of freedom to do what we have. Basically, a, a group was responsible for a lot of things within the company. It went for about a decade and then to be honest, I thought maybe it's a time to move to something else. We have uh, since then moved in many other, many other areas in healthcare. I mentioned a company I have uh, started, two of them actually, in the healthcare space. I'll give you an example of a, recent, um, of a recent work we've done first as part of MIT, but then later as a company. So we have uh, helped um, Boston public schools to route uh, schools buses for the schools, uh, it was implemented in 2017. In fact, we won a major award for the for the work, and it went on okay. for several years. And then, t- together with the then uh, with the then uh, chief operating officer of Boston Public School, we actually started a company called Alpha Route. And uh, Alpha Route currently serves of the order of maybe. 20 bus school districts around the country Um, so that's an example where you especially under covid that uh, there are significant restrictions the company has um, an edge in uh, finding high quality solutions with smaller number of buses lesser less um, less miles traveled, therefore less pollution and so forth and more effective for the students so generally speaking, the, that's the, the trend of my work. I, 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 we work in, within MIT to develop prototypes, proof of concept, and then we apply them in, um, in, uh, in the real world. So, um, okay. so far, this has been uh, reasonably successful. Um, mm-hmm. We have significant failures. And we are hoping, I hope that with the young people, and I typically involve my former students, people I know well, and um, and I typically don't engage uh, venture capital. Like I typically invest on my own on these companies. Mm-hmm. That's the style that I utilize.
1: Right. That's fascinating. Um, I mean, you've clearly created a, a ton of impact, so it it, it is remarkable.
2: You aspire. <laughs> yeah. You sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. But if you don't aspire, you will not succeed.
1: Right. Right. So. How have you applied your scientific background into your entrepreneurial ventures, and can you speak to the importance of merging science and business?
2: Yep, um, So typically, um, I, the, the overarching goal is to have impact in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of a company I call in, we call Interpretable AI. I started with two of my doctoral students, Jack Dunn and uh, Daisy Zohu. These were my doctoral students. they graduated in 2018. And we have started a company on machine learning that has an additional feature, namely the methods we use are understandable by humans. So unlike uh, general purpose machine learning like neural net, deep, deep learning neural networks, which are more like black boxes, we have developed a set of methods that are capable of uh, having state-of-the-art performance, but they are also interpretable. Now the reason um, so this is—it came out of this effort. I told you where the very first question you asked about the book. Um, we we built this on the base of this work that we have done at MIT. But then um, we, we tried to address problems of the world that companies have, and we continue to do so. But this is an example where scientific work has merged with um, addressing, trying to address problems that industry is facing. Uh, And uh, I believe they come hand to hand. In other words, research at least in my field should be done in the context of the real world problems that real companies face. If it's done in the abstract it's typically not going to answer the most relevant questions. So clearly the scientific work has impact in industry but the other way around is also possible. Namely, many of the questions that uh, we have learned from industry we did not know initially how to answer. So this gave rise to interesting PhD questions that my PhD students have been addressing. It's an interface between industry affecting academia and academia affecting industry. And I think MIT is well positioned historically and at the moment in in doing exactly that. Um, And uh, I think, uh, to give you another example, I wrote a book, it's called The Analytics Edge, a book that was written in 2016. It's the core book in the master of business analytics we offer. At MIT, I'm the faculty director of the program, and uh, this book would not have been written because it's based on many, many years of experience of mine. Um, it would not have been written if it wasn't for the industry experience. So you see an example where um, the scientific work has influenced industry, but very much so, industrial questions um, and solutions have influenced um, what we teach and what our students learn. Right. Wow.
1: Now that that is amazing. Um, so I think you, you touched upon this earlier, but how has your scientific work changed or adapted because of the COVID pandemic?
2: Significantly, actually. It was March 19th, March 16th, Monday 2020, when um, my tea was closed for the first day and I called my entire group. Uh, of about 30 doctoral students. So we met and we decided we're going to do the best we can to help the effort. Uh, so we met from that time, March 16, 2020, daily for several hours, actually, 24-7 uh, work, very, very dedicated work to address problems of the world. Our output is a website called covidanalytics.io, that uh, has many things notable among them. We have a methodology for predicting uh, hospitalizations, infections, uh, as well as deaths for uh, all 50 states in the United States and about 130 countries in the world. We update this daily. And we have worked uh, very closely with Johnson & Johnson Um, It was the principal model, the the method we we developed is called DELPHI, Differential Equations uh, uh, Predict Hospitalization and Infections. If you do the acronyms, it's like the the Oracle of Greece, DELPHI. So the DELPHI model, um, it has been used for uh, guiding J&J in its clinical trials. We, We started in May 2020, and we have guided the choice of uh, places to do the clinical trials. As a result of this, uh, Johnson & Johnson was the first company that did the clinical trials in South Africa and therefore learned about the South African variant. Um, It was the the country that we went to Brazil, uh, another Latin America, and therefore we had access to, um, to the variants there, but in general it was it was quite successful, I would say. And keeps we keep working with, with Johnson & Johnson in guiding the, the trial for um, the two, two, a combination of two vaccines. Currently, the J&J vaccine is only one, one shot. We have also uh, worked with um, a major hospital system at Hartford, Connecticut, the Hartford uh, uh, Healthcare system, which is the largest uh, hospital system in Connecticut. And uh, we have guided them in uh, sizing, how many ICU beds should they prepare as uh, the COVID-19 uh, disease is uh, expanding. We still work with them to the day. We have worked with the federal government, for example, for sizing the, you know, how many vaccines to which states you give at, at what locations. So it has been an all encompassing effort that we have uh we have the, my, my group uh, I think the, the principal players I mean I obviously helped and I supervised but the young people in my group has been uh, you know key contributors in these efforts as you can see the last year and a half has been quite a bit uh, absorbed in the COVID-19 effort right
1: it's always interesting to see too the the impact that the young generation creates when uh, a situation like this arises you know they feel like a. Yeah, there's a need for stepping up, and this generation has definitely done. And they have,
2: yeah, at least in the limited perspective I have with the, with my own doctoral students, they, they have right. they have done an admirable job, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that that's fantastic. So, um,
1: can you speak about the work that Hellenic that about the Hellenic Institute of Advanced Studies and the value that it creates?
2: Yeah. Um, so the, the the effort on uh, we we call it uh, uh, HIAS, Hellenic Institute of Advanced Studies. It's an initiative done by some um, colleagues, uh, myself and others, uh, to, in a sense, create a bridge uh, between the people in the, the Greek di- of Greek diaspora, Greek diaspora, and the, and the country. So the, our, our our vision is to in addition to creating a bridge, but to also uh, bring to the service of the country the considerable expertise that all of us have done, have had many uh, you know, long careers abroad to the country. I give you a couple of examples. One example, we recently uh, um, initiated a study about the use of robotics for, um, in the Greek environment, both in research as well as um, practically. And uh, the government um, I think uh, liked what they saw without a report and um, and we are hoping that the new institute will take place where people both in, from people from both in Greece and abroad to increase uh, in a very critical area, the area of robotics, the, the, the effort to improve outcomes for the country. That's one example we are also discussing about energy, Medicine, healthcare, and so forth. But the key here is to bring together. It's a it's a young effort. It's not a it's about uh, eight nine months old, but it's the effort to to bring together uh, people with a lot of experience and um, and contribution in science and technology to the service of the country.
1: Right. No, that's that's fantastic, and in speaking in terms of. You know, the importance of something like that for Greece as well. How do you think that um, that something like this, an initiative like this, will improve life in general in Greece?
2: I mean, clearly, that's a big objective to improve life. I mean, I you know, that's a hard, uh, you know, that also don't, doesn't depend on us. But let's take, for example, the area of, um, of uh, healthcare. So it is in my my strong belief, I devoted uh, 20 years of my life on the subject, that uh, data and artificial intelligence will increasingly play a role in medicine in the world, better outcomes, personalized medicine, uh, and so forth. So it stands to reason that if this is, um, and this is starting to happen in the United States. So it stands to reason that something like this might also happen in Greece. Namely, that um, the areas of personalized medicine among Greek hospitals and Greek doctors, better outcomes at using the totality of the data will make a difference in the field. In the area of robotics, uh, there has been significant developments with uh, drones uh, for various kinds of application, transportation, even military ones, uh, defense uh, applications, and so forth. It sounds to reason that um, the adoption of these technologies by people who were critical in developing this, at least in the United States and abroad, uh, Greek people will then also make a difference in Greece. Uh, Transportation, I mean, you know, there is a significant development in, uh, I told you the example I gave you about uh, school buses and routing where we can save 20, 30% of buses and about 20 to 30% decrease of uh, emissions. It's not the reason that something like this would m- make a difference. The complication is, it's not lack of ideas. The complication is that you need governments uh, that uh, can make a difference. i give you an example that some of my students were involved. I was not personally involved, but uh, the, the the system, every, every time you go to Greece, let's say an airport, there's an algorithm that takes place. People ask whether they should do a test on you or not. This, this particular algorithm was developed by some uh, actually former graduates from MIT. One of, one of them was my student, who um, worked with the Greek prime minister and uh, a team in Greece. Uh, in fact, um, the, 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 the method they have developed is now implemented in Greece. And I believe it improves the, the detection of COVID-19 patients who want to enter the country from abroad. That's an, ex- that's an example. If you have willingness, of course, politics often play their play a role. Um, not everybody listens. But uh, over time, I'm optimistic that uh, the, the Greek government will be open. And it has been more open than in the past to ideas that could help life in the country.
1: Right. So <clears throat> government always plays a critical role. Um, so in terms of the work that you do and the work that you've been doing your entire life. What was your inspiration for choosing the path that you did?
2: Yeah, I I um, I, I was um, in electrical engineering, computer science in Greece. where I all the students from 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 eighteen to twenty two, I was a student in Greece in the National Technical University of Athens, Electrical Engineering Department, and I happened to take a class uh, that was not very popular at the time. It's called operational research. And boy, I loved it. It was a method of using mathematics to affect all human activity. So currently, this field has transformed to what is called analytics today, but uh, which is very popular. But um, it gave me an opportunity to be educated in a field that is exceptionally broad. If you're in the course of my career, if you if you look at the type, types of problems I have addressed, the companies have formed, they are almost in all aspects of human activity, in financial services, in transportation, ground transportation, air transportation, in medicine, in hospitals, in computer vision, in machine learning, in applications, in policing, uh, name it. You know, There aren't too many fields that I know of, but are capable, to make, to are capable of making critical contributions uh, to all of human activity. Recently, for example, I have been working with with lawyers to automate the process of writing contracts for uh, for uh, you know major agreements. Um, I was working. I'm working with doctors uh, to devise algorithms for better outcomes for patients and personalized medicine. So, so, so I was um, in some ways, one would say, somewhat lucky in that I was exposed. to to an area that appealed to my talents and um, and interests. At the same time, I I felt um, that, uh, you know, all of us live uh, limited uh, lives in terms of duration. So I decided that the the best way to approach my life anyway is to attempt to have impact in the world. And the way I measure impact is twofold is by writing papers, books, and scientific work, but affects the education of young people in, you know, locally in my university, but more globally with writing books and everything. But at the same time, translating the scientific work my group has done over many decades to real companies that affect and solve real world problems that matter. Uh, So the combination of education and my passion for impact have uh, led me to where I am today.
1: So that is actually a perfect transition for um, this next question, but what drives you in terms of um, your work in the sense that, what purpose are you fulfilling by doing the work that you do and in terms of the results that you create?
2: Yeah, so um, this is something I have thought quite hard on. In fact, um, I have written, uh, two, three pages in my website, it's called philosophy. And, um, and I, you know, it took me a long time to write these two pages, but um, the, my objective is to, uh, to make a positive impact in the world, number one, to create knowledge, to generate the, the, gener- the future generation, um, and uh, understand in some ways how the world works. So, and I tried to achieve this using scientific um, work, uh, research. I was happy, I was lucky to be at the, one of the best universities of our times and, uh, and have fantastic young people around me. But at the same time, um, you have to have desire and aspirations to have an impact. And because without it doesn't matter, I mean, you know, you have to desire to do it. Uh, And uh, I was always trying to this day uh, is to try to affect at least in my opinion positively the world. Of course I don't always succeed but um, my experience is that if you aspire and you put goals that are at least in your mind worthy some of them get accomplished and good things happen to you and most importantly to society.
1: You've absolutely created created a, a positive impact in the world. Um, So my my final question is less academic, um, but in a perfect setting, what is the location for a dinner with two guests of your choice? Who would they be? What meal would you have served? And what song would be playing in the background?
2: (laughs) So um, there are many restaurants in the world that I like. Um, Toughest question yet. Yeah. So, what's my favorite? You know, obviously, I spent thirty six years in Boston, so I know the the city better. The best. Um, I happen to like um, a, a restaurant near this, the Boston Harbor. Um, it's not a particularly fun. in the Four Seasons, but in the Boston Harbor Hotel, overlooking the the harbor. Um, I particularly like. A, a, a lobster dish that they have there that combines uh, this, you know, the, the New England uh, tradition, but it's very well, well done. In terms of guests, who would I select? Uh, well, I would have probably selected my wife and my father, who of course is not alive. But, uh, but if he were to alive, this would be the two people that are closest to me in the world. Uh, of course there are many other candidates, many of my friends, colleagues, and uh, and so forth. But you ask me to select two, these are the two I would have selected.
1: And if there's a, a song playing in the background, what would you song. prefer it be? Um uh,
2: yeah, I, I, I despite the fact I've been many years in here, I the only songs I hear is Greek uh, Greek songs. Uh, what is my favorite? Um in Greek, I mean I, I I'm not saying it's my favorite. Absolute favorite song, but um, I, I like um, an old uh, song of minis Plessas. Uh, that uh, is called the Agalma, the statue. It's a, it, it's a, something I I've heard when I was you know under ten years old, and I, to this it has stayed in my mind, and I, I particularly like it. But there are many other songs. Oh, I have to admit, music defines me, my. My Greek uh, heritage is very much has influenced my music uh, preferences. More or less, I only hear music from Greece uh, from the 60s, 70s, 80s until today.
0: Σε μεσανυχτα και κατι κατι φορισα στη μικρη τη πλατεια που σε γνωρισα καποιο που μίδε με θύμηθηκέ και και το πονο Δεν αρνηθήκε Κάποιο αγάλμα που μ' είδε Δεν θυμηθήκε. Και το πόνο μου να ακούσει Δεν αρνηθήκε
2: happen to know you somewhat, Petro, uh, I know your right. family and so forth. Right. Um, so, you know, the, you grew up as in a, in a Greek family, but in Boston, so in a Greek American tradition. And I have observed that, although I'm not certain this is true for you, but that's a question I would like to ask. In terms of identity, uh, what do you feel? Do you feel Greek, American, and how has this uh, being a Greek American family influenced your life?
1: Right, I mean, that is a it's, a, it's a tough question and oftentimes an internal question that I have to ask myself, just because it's a, it hasn't created a, a crisis of identity necessarily, but it has at times been a, a tricky situation to navigate just because um, as you know, my, my family is completely Greek. And uh, my, my father is incredibly proud to be Greek, as most Greeks are. Um, and I grew up, you know, going to Greek school and being surrounded by other Greek families every year in Greece. So in terms of that respect, I identify as Greek. But then when I go to Greece, you know, I'll get the American Nike, which is like little American boy. So in that respect, it's always difficult to sort of. Put myself in one position. I've kind of accepted the idea that I can be both, um, because I think, in a way, it's it's limiting to myself to say I'm this or that, just because I understand my upbringing and I understand my roots and the importance of uh, looking back and reflecting on where I do come from. But at the end of the day, I still live in Boston, um, and something that I've noticed is I'm automatically sort of attracted to to being around people that are Greek because since I grew up in that Greek environment, I'm always seeking something that sort of speaks to my familial heritage and something that, you know, really resonates with me. So it's been, it's been a difficult split, but I think I've found a balance in terms of understanding who I am, my place in the world, and understanding that I can have both.
2: And, and what are your aspirations for the future, uh, Petrón? In other words, as you see yourself, both professionally and uh, from a personal perspective, what are your aspirations? Uh, I, I would say you are approaching, uh, I mean, at my estimation, late 20s. Uh, I might be wrong by some years, but uh, that's what I expect uh, <laughs> you are. Uh, so as you look at your life uh, moving forward, you are, you are now in a sense beginning, what are your aspirations?
1: So I think one of the reasons that I I appreciate this interview so much is because of the idea of creating impact and the idea of um, doing something where not necessarily to leave a legacy based on your name, but to leave a legacy based on the work that you've done. Um, So just speaking to that idea of serial entrepreneurship, my goal at the end of the day is to become an entrepreneur. Um, And that doesn't just mean like starting and running businesses. It means Creating something of value that can provide for the world. And that means doing several different projects. Um, It it means doing anything where I can reflect and be proud of what I've accomplished, not in terms of what I created, but in terms of the results that it did create. So at at the end of the day, that is my primary goal to be an entrepreneur, um, not just in action, but also in thought, where my mentality also reflects the idea of, of doing something. In creating something of value that people can, people can see or be a part of, and think this is good for the world. Um, I think there's there's too much where there's so much harm done, and I, I would like to be a, a beacon of positivity in, in the entrepreneurial world.
2: In terms of, um, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with your education, but. Uh, is there something you would have, you would have changed and you, can, you still have time, I mean, you're still a young person, to, right. um, to change um, something in your education to, um, to serve better your aspirations of becoming an entrepreneur?
1: Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of you are going to be wherever you are a fit for and whatever, wherever you're a match for um, because life doesn't happen you know, without reason. Uh, and there's consequences to actions. So I, I went to Babson College, which is known for its entrepreneurial mentality and uh, its entrepreneurial teachings. And I could have gone to Cornell. I could have gone to a lot of other places I was accepted to, but I found it hard to reject a place like Babson because of that idea of the self-starter mentality. Of um, I think it, it suited me in the sense that I belonged in a place where, and I I even yearned for a place that encouraged self-starter mentalities, where they even encouraged failure. They kind of preached it, where they understood that failure is only as as good as a teacher of you know whatever teacher you have, um, just because it's Um, the best way to learn and it's it's the best way to understand your mistakes and. What I really appreciated about Babson is that it helped me realize that my aspirations didn't have to be you know, seeking fame or money. It helped me realize that the aspiration that I wanted, you know, I guess, to aspire to, um, that level was just making an impact and creating something positive for the world. And I found myself in a position when I first went to Admitted Students Day um, where I was fascinated by the teaching staff, the faculty, the people there. I've never seen a group of students and a group of professionals. So just coexisting in a way that really promoted growth and it encouraged just a complete mental change where you walk in first day as a freshman and leave last day as a senior with a completely different mindset and a completely different outlook on life. And I think that's what I needed in order to, I guess, ignite ignite a passion of making change in the world
2: and would you be open uh, Petro to live outside of the United States also or would you like to focus primarily in the
1: I think, U.S. I, U.S. I, I, think I would um, I, I studied abroad in Barcelona and I, I went to a bunch of different countries from that and I realized that I think everybody at one point in their life should live abroad um, I think it provides a perspective and offers something that you simply can't get just by living in one place all your all your life um and you also get to to realize the diversity that that does exist in the world whatever city you may be in and of course as we live in boston we understand you know the the diversity is immense but if you you know live in a, in a country like spain or england you realize that you know the, the world is a vastly different place wherever you may go and I think that having that diverse perspective is critical for for every stage in life, and just understanding your your place within a team, your place within a company. Um, it, it's critical in, in just in terms of your place in life as well, where you interact with people at a completely different level of understanding. Once you kind of grow up in a diverse environment.
2: So you asked me um, a question in the end about uh, preferences. Um, you asked me about restaurants and people. So uh, a related question. If you were to, as you look back in your life and you, let's say you have something that you can change, is there something mm-hmm. you have changed if you had the opportunity to go back?
1: Uh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I um, <educate>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um. You know I don't I don't think I would. I think when I reflect about you know past mistakes and, and just pe- my past in general, I think that if I did things differently, I wouldn't end up in the place that I am right now. I think it's uh, it's it's very tough. you know if, if life came with a preview before every decision you made, you wouldn't make a bad decision ever. But bad decisions are critical mm-hmm. for learning and growing yeah. Um, Fair. So I think that it, it's tough to, you know, reflect back on decisions and say I, I wish I could have changed that, just because I wouldn't have the understanding of yes. I won't make the same mistake again if I, if you know, the situation confronts me once again. So it, it's hard to say I would change something. I, I think I'm happy with the decisions I made, good and bad. Um, obviously, everybody makes mistakes, That's and a... uh, I, I, I think it's imp- important to recognize you know who you are what you've done and how to move forward
2: all right peter petro i know i know you a little bit better hopefully you know me a little better i think of course of course like insightful conversation at least for me i hope for the
1: listeners oh well. it was it much more insightful for me but um yeah i thank you so much dr berzimas for uh, for being a <laughs> part of this podcast um, Aristia thanks you and it truly was fascinating the work you've done is I, I can't even put it in, into words how, how immensely impactful it's been um, so no. not just Aristia thanks you but you know people that have Great. been touched or, or blessed by your work also thank you
2: thank you Pedro look I forward
0: to seeing you in person you in the near doctor Dimitris Bertsimas and Peter F. for this podcast Aristia in 30 minutes where experts talk about excellence.